Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bresky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another surreal week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director, is with us. Claire, it's great to have you. Thank you. Great to be here. And Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action, is with us. Robert. Uh, Good morning to our radio and our digital audience. Well, it's great to have both of you, and yes, good morning to everyone. Um, again, we record Thursday mornings, and this week has just been unreal, and it's just, again, the whole year has, so why not uh, have December be quite the capper? Uh, there is a number of things we're going to talk about, but we are going to start talking about the election that is over, but not really. And it is because currently, as we speak, and we expect a number of these court cases uh, may play out, some will play out today, but 17 states now have joined in uh, uh, to a, let's just say it, a completely ridiculous uh, case brought by the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxson, uh, this week. That essentially just seeks to overturn the election. It's uh, pretty blatant uh, and uh, quite... uh, it's just ridiculous, but 17 states, Claire, this is, um, it's, I don't know. When I saw it, I was like, wow, I get the Texas, uh, AG who's in deep, uh, uh, legal troubles might want to endear himself to Trump to get, uh, you know, maybe, uh, a pardon, but 17 states, Claire, where the, uh, yeah, yeah, we've been predicting it, but Claire, your thoughts. You know, early on um, in my uh, time on the podcast, Robert used to um, go on um, little riffs all the time about how Trump is leading this proto-fascist, proto-authoritarian sort of a mindset wave, whatever we want to call it right now. And uh, we haven't talked about that in a while. And I thought about that again when I read the news articles that Um, All of these states had signed on to this absolutely ridiculous, frivolous, um, baseless lawsuit. I've heard garbage tossed out, a whole bunch of adjectives. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like there's a good pun in there somewhere, right? Like it's a garbage lawsuit that needs to be tossed out. I don't know. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I thought about that when I saw that all of these states signed on to this lawsuit. Um, Because I mean, of course, I remember when in 2008, 2012, when Wisconsin went blue and um, you know, there were, there were no, there were no such lawsuits, um, anywhere in the country, let alone a lawsuit that had so many people, um, or so many states and AGs signed on to it. And, um, you know, all, all that I can think of is that this is, this is because of Trump and this is because of what Trump has released inside of people, um, and, and what he has fomented with his, to use Robert's words, you know, proto-fascist behavior and proto-authoritarianism behavior. Um, uh, it's, <laughs> there just are not, are not words for how, how hard people who just want to protect their own self-interest over democracy and the health of their countrymen and women um, are, are just flailing out in sort of the, the death throes of this election. Dr. Craig, your thoughts? Yeah, it's not just Trump. That's the scary part. And that's what's clear here. And no matter how brilliant a TV age propagandist Trump may be, uh, 
he is not capable of creating this out of thin air any more than Ronald Reagan was the uh, right-wing conservatism of the 1980s, even though Reagan was a brilliant communicator. Uh, this is a base that's been deliberately built up uh, over a number of decades. You can see it clearly uh, in the 1950s, at least that early. In the 1970s, if you read uh, Rick Perlstein's book, Reagan Land, it's all there. And it's taking over the country already. Taking over, that's the process of taking over the Republican Party and defeating Jimmy Carter, that book. And we were lucky enough a couple of years ago when Matt, a couple of weeks ago, excuse me, when Matt and Claire were on VACA to have Rick Perlstein on with John Goldstein and talk about his new book. So for those of you interested in Christmas reading, uh, but I would just say that Trump's taking it to a new level. And remember the chant from the uh, uh, workers' rights protests in 2011? This is what democracy looks like? Well, this is what fascism looks like. Uh, the fortunate thing is this is a kabuki uh, play right now. Uh, excuse me, I, I, I actually like kabuki, so I, I, all apologies to Japanese folks for using their art form to talk about Trump. But in kabuki, it's a display of their position. They're not actually going to win, but they all feel like they have to show fealty to the fearless leader and to this doctrine. And it tells you what a dangerous situation we're in, because this modern right-wing Republican Party has been brilliant at finding every weakness in our constitutional system and exploiting it. So exploiting gerrymandering, exploiting the Electoral College, uh, exploiting the, the minority rule of the U.S. Senate, which was never this bad when it was created. It's an enactment of history that it represents so few people right now, and how Wyoming has the same power in the Senate as uh, California, and the Dakotas have doubled the power of California in the U.S. Senate. And then, of course, packing the courts and getting rid of the Voting Rights Act, which is what unleashed this torrent of of uh, voter suppression in Texas also right now is promising the legislature to act on all of Trump's complaints and get rid of in-person, I mean, absentee voting without a photo ID, get rid of drop boxes, get rid of early voting, all of that. In other words, and the Supreme Court will, will not back them up on this because it's not a real lawsuit. The one thing I'll say about this lawsuit is it's different than the others. It says that the four states, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, and Pennsylvania, uh, created systems that made fraud indetectable, undetectable. So in other words, it, they're saying that, no, they're, they're admitting in a way that Trump can't find fraud, which is against message because it's hidden. But you'll notice other states that Trump won, like North Carolina with the same laws, not part of the lawsuit. I mean, it's not the only tell, but it's that one's a pretty obvious one as to what this is really about. Well, Robert, and we're going to, we need to talk more about this. I think this is the huge piece here. Um, and this gets us to what's playing out here in the state uh, this Friday. Uh, so maybe the day some of you listen to this, but we have a, we have activity, Robert and Claire in the state legislature. Uh, there's going to be a hearing on Friday. Uh, the Assembly Elections Committee is going to have a hearing about this to look at fraud in the election. And, you know, it's 
This may end up being very similar to the Michigan show. We'll, we'll have to see. Maybe we'll be on Saturday Night Live this week. Who knows? Uh, and some of our citizens <laughs> testifying will we'll make Saturday Night Live. But uh, the big news this week also is uh, the, the chairman of that committee, Re- Republican Representative Ron Tussler, announced yesterday that he's actually, he's open to and in favor of overturning the election and actually having uh, Wisconsin's 10 electoral votes go to Trump. This is, uh, this is um, unbelievable, but what it is setting up is that this committee is going to be the first step of rolling back in an effort to roll back a whole bunch of, uh, of voting rights. And I think there's going to be uh, a strategic assault on this. Uh, and it's going to just presume that there was fraud. In the same way, the voter ID was moved with the presumption that there were all sorts of people, even though uh, they never were able to prove it. They're not going to be able to prove this. They'll just use it uh, and use their majorities to jam through a lot of very terrible uh, things that suppress the vote that help protect a permanent minority. Claire, your thoughts on Ron Tussler or anything else further on this? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say what everybody is probably thinking, um, which is that of it's it is so disheartening and infuriating that the. Uh, that these Republican legislators were uh, willing to abdicate their responsibility to care for the residents of this state during a pandemic and economic crisis, and yet are willing to um, come in and act with this fake sense of urgency around this artificial um, totally uh, not real, right? This artificial, quote unquote, emergency um, around the election. Um, It's, uh, I mean, it's it's offensive and hurtful to all the people who lost their lives and lost their jobs during this pandemic. But I know we have to, I know we have to go to break. So uh, maybe I'll pitch it back to you and then we can talk more about this after break. Absolutely. Uh, We got to talk more about this, Claire, because you're, you're getting to the nub of this, right? Why are we not having the same sense of urgency around the pandemic, but we have around this? We're going to talk more about that with Claire and Robert. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the surreal efforts by President Trump and his enablers in the Republican Party to try and essentially, let's just say it, he's trying to overturn the election. Uh, and uh, also here in the state, we have uh, we have a, a, a committee hearing this week that's going to essentially try to look at all of these trumped up conspiracy theories. But as I mentioned, uh, probably start to really try to push back against a lot of uh, uh, voting rights. Uh, Claire, you were talking before we went to the break about this idea that they haven't been around really for seven months. And this now, this is the sense of urgency to come back while we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, They ought to be having a meeting about COVID relief, Claire. Yeah, we haven't had um, we haven't had a a substantive committee hearing about COVID relief. Um, You know, as of December 9th, Wisconsin, we've lost. 3,887 of our neighbors and family members to this 
horrible disease. And as of when we're recording, that's a day old. We had lost 81 people on December 9th alone. So if we assume that many more on the day that we're recording today, December 10th, I mean, we're looking at by the end of the week having lost 4,000 people in this state. Um, like many folks, I can't scroll through Facebook without seeing somebody talking about having lost a loved one or on the verge of losing a loved one to this disease, to this virus. And, you know, that's, that's not counting the almost 19,000 people who've been hospitalized from this disease in the state. Um, and, you know, 215 people on the 9th, uh, yesterday being the day that we recorded, um, having been newly hospitalized. So uh, that, that's an additional fear. That's an additional trauma. Those are people who will carry potentially long-term, if not lifelong, uh, symptoms with them after their recovery, if they recovered, right? I mean, these are, these are unimaginable levels of, of um, contagion and hospitalization and death. Um, and so to have not met about that, but to come in and meet about, again, this totally fabricated, um, you know, a fake election crisis is offensive to those nearly 4,000 people and nearly who died and nearly 19,000 people who are hospitalized. It's just, it's a total abdication of, of responsibility. Look, I, obviously we all understand that the real crisis here is the pandemic. Uh, we're on a course to uh, go well over the uh, number of uh, deaths that uh, we suffered in World War II. Okay, and hopefully we will not get to the Civil War, which is our top war. That'll be the number two war for American fatalities. We should also care about all the fatalities of folks that were not Americans. They were also human beings. I want to, because, you know, on TV, on CNN, MSNBC, social media, on our side, there's a lot of vitriol about this because it's so obviously outrageous, right? I think we should be introspective ourselves about the role of dogma and ideology in human decision-making, because all humans are subject to this, including Democrats, including progressives. And the problem with them, them being the right-wing version of the Republican Party, is they're not just counterfactual, they're allergic to facts. They make up facts now to suit whatever they want and need, period. And it, it's become untethered to a point where the gap has become huge. It's important to understand that began with, and we always have to go back to power. We don't do that enough. This wasn't some philosophical decision. This started with big corporations needing to discredit science for their own interests, the smoking and tobacco industry, uh, a whole lot of others, all of the consumer protections, everyone uh, doing environmental pollution, and then most hideously because of the possible human death toll, global warming denial. And that has infused the Republican Party. At first, the right-wing movement uh, was critiquing establishment groupthink, which did exist and was going to create its own infrastructure that would also be a different fact-based think tank. Now there's no thinking at all. It's just pure ideology. But we do it too at a lesser level. Uh, when we say, for example, when we fixate, on the idea, I'm going to give an example that'll be controversial, that uh, single-payer healthcare is the only solution. We mistake 
something that's important. That is the idea, universal health care that is guaranteed by the public, by the government, to everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what their economic means, with one solution, which is having government be the payer, which could be a great way to do that, but also could be a horrible system. It could be used to simply enrich providers and hospitals. There's nothing natural about the government paying that makes a good program. But we get this, and we also get fixated, it must be done in one step. Not that there, that like with almost every massive structural reform in American history, it's done in multiple steps, and it could be done in major stepping stones. Social Security was not Social Security when it was passed, but it became uh, kind of a, a foundation that was built into modern Social Security. Same with Medicare, same with Medicaid. And so we get into group thinks, and we need to guard against our tendency simply to assume that we are always right about everything. And you see it in establishment Democrats who are well-intended. Barack Obama, the first African-American president, did not intend, it was not his goal to, to make racial inequality far worse by bailing out banks and not bailing out their victims, even though they had stolen decades of gains of black and brown people through their violation of the law and organized fraud for profit. But he had a group think about how the economy worked with his advisors that had that result. And so he needs he needed to get out of that group think. And we hope to try to do better in the Biden administration. So we all get trapped by our beliefs and how the world works. And we all jump on Facebook and say, oh, it's this way. That means this. We need to take a step back if we're going to have a democracy, because a democracy requires us to get along with people we disagree with and to come to common ground to solve problems, not just to be with only people we agree with. And we're on Facebook in terms of migration patterns. People in blue who are more blue are moving to blue areas and red folks are congregating together. We, we, that is toxic to democracy. But the biggest threat now, and no doubt, is fascism from the right, which is on the verge, if this is not successful, Biden administration of taking over the country. And in four years, if you had a more effective authoritarian than Trump uh, that defeated a Biden that was not successful and didn't accomplish much, then that is when democracy really ends. Trump's too flawed to pull it off himself. Look, folks, we want to make sure, especially if you're listening to this on Friday or before, please uh, reach out uh, to, to uh, Representative Tussler and other folks on the committee. We will have links uh, and tell them, tell them they need to knock this off. You need to stop this with the, uh, the, the nonsensical conspiracy theories and focus on the real issue, right? We need COVID relief. There, there's real economic uh, and health concerns that are, are ravaging uh, through this state that are not being addressed. And it is worth pointing out, right? We have significant unemployment that is on the rise. We're, we're seeing now the numbers uh, this week. They're coming out that show uh, the, the uptick in COVID is having a real impact on our economy. Uh, and we need folks to focus on that, both at the federal level and the state level. So please reach out to, to, to state your state reps, and, and let them know they got to stop this. They need to focus on the real problems. Uh, Claire, before we go to break, I want you to remind everybody, and we need to remind everybody about the, the important deadline that's coming up on the Affordable Care Act um, for folks to get access 
to healthcare. Uh, we've been so immersed in all, all of the craziness that I don't think we've spent enough time talking about that. And I want to make sure our listeners uh, re- are rem- remember this and uh, share this information on social media uh, to folks who may need it around the Affordable Care Act access. Yeah, I'm really glad that you uh, brought this up, Matt, because it is uh, an important deadline that'll be happening right about the time when this show airs on the radio and goes up online. Um, So December 15th, December 15th, I'm going to say it again because it is so important. December 15th, which is a Tuesday, um, is the last day that you can register to get health coverage through the ACA or on the ACA marketplace. So if you need to purchase your own health coverage, um, and you can do that by going to healthcare.gov or wiscovered.com. So those two websites are healthcare. .gov and wiscovered.com. Um, it is incredibly important, especially during this pandemic, that you have health coverage in case anything were to happen to you, in case you or members of your family were to get sick. Um, so please, if you don't have coverage or your coverage is about to expire, um, go to healthcare.gov or wiscovered.com before Tuesday, December 5th to get covered. And with that, we got to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Robert, wanted to give you some last comments around, uh, you know, certainly uh, COVID and public health. Look, moving forward, we already know what's happened backward that's happening. Yes, the vaccine is coming. We're not sure how quick. Canada doesn't think it can vaccinate everyone until the fall and they're eighth our size. Uh, and they have much better public health infrastructure and healthcare system than we do. Uh, but we, the, one of the most underfunded public sectors is public health and Wisconsin historically has been in near the bottom, 48th, 49th, 50th. And not only is the state legislature not stepping up to give public health departments the resources, they are the ones the Trump plan calls for doing the vaccinations, okay? Uh, local mayors around the state, a number of whom are our members, are very worried about this and are very worried about uh, the underinvestment. And then at the national level, not only is the relief bill, the compromised one, which is now I think rightly seen as a stepping stone to the Biden administration, it is held up again because Mitch McConnell is insisting as his price, complete immunity for all corporate wrongdoing during the pandemic. We've talked about that in this show before. Again, all about power and its donors and the corporations that started the attack on facts in our country and still underwrite the whole right-wing conspiracy you're seeing. Remember on the right-wing conspiracy, who's standing behind them and funding them and not getting all the blame? Don't just say this crazy Texas attorney general who maybe, since he's under federal investigation, simply playing for a pardon from Trump, that he's the player. He is, just like Robin Voss, he is simply the figurehead, okay? They do not have the real power in this country, and they're not behind it. If big billionaires and corporations wouldn't fund them, they wouldn't exist, folks. With that, I want to change topics a little bit to something that I'm going to say is more positive, because we're always talking on this show about the importance of our 
electeds leading and leading on the big major issues of the day and leading with big visionary ideas and not just small ball. And so yesterday was an important day because uh, Governor Tony Evers Climate Change Task Force released its plan. And I want to remind everybody that this, uh, this task force, it's a 32-member task force. It's been led by Governor, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who's cared deeply about this issue. We've had him on uh, the show uh, before to talk about the task force and to talk about climate change. Uh, but a huge, uh, huge, hugely important uh, step here to get this out. And there's big, big stuff in here. Um, it's not everything, but it is super important. And Robert, I wanted to start with you and Claire, and I want to get your thoughts in response uh, immediately, uh, first just broadly to it, but then also to some of the important particulars about what's in this package. And it's, it's, it's quite broad. There's nine different areas and a whole bunch of different proposals. But Robert, your initial thoughts uh, on the release of this, uh, uh, this task force plan. There's actually too much in it for us to summarize here, and we're going to miss very important things. There's a lot of cool things in here. I was worried about this being tepid, as many of the task force that have been appointed have been in the Evers years. This is not. So kudos not only to the members of the task force, uh, but to Mandela Barnes, especially, the uh, Citizen Action Co-op member and the um, Lieutenant Governor. Uh, and by the way, our members did a whole lot of public input. So I think we had an influence on the fact that there are serious racial economic justice components of this. It's not just an environmental plan. Now, do I think everything in it is necessarily the, you know, the best, most important possible thing or just an, an idea that addresses a big problem? No, not so far, but I'm still going through it. And so are the members of our climate teams, both our rural climate teams across the state and our urban Milwaukee one here, here in Milwaukee. I will call out that it actually tries to focus on racial justice. It talks about having a, a, an office of economic, of environmental justice. It talks about racial impact statements for all economic development, which is huge because most economic development money actually uh, probably increases disparities, certainly doesn't reduce them when we have structural racism. I don't know if that's the best policy solution, but it is one. Uh, I think that that's serious. Uh, the the one that I want to call out that I know about that's in there that none of the press has reported that Kevin Kane, our former staff member who is now leading a social venture that's an affiliate of Citizen Action, is all joining our board, pointed out to me, it has mandating utilities do on bill financing, and that sounds like something technical. It's huge. What it means is putting on solar panels, uh, doing all the changes in one's home or commercial business. Or, or apartment building that reduce energy use, that do conservation, those all pay for themselves. They don't require government money. It's a financing issue. Utilities in, in, along the coast are offering on-bill financing where they pay, you pay back the utility bill or anyone who buys your house or your building, and it's less than what you were paying before because of the savings. So it's a, it's a savings to you but there's no upfront cost, no bank loan, et cetera. That would accelerate the green transition dramatically and create a ton of green jobs. 
And utilities won't do it. Why? Because they make money selling fossil fuels and they're willing to sell out their grandchildren and their children and themselves, given how rapidly this is going. And people need to be aware. There's a report this week that the Arctic is melting twice as fast as we thought. Climate change is going faster than we thought. And with that, Claire, I want to get your thoughts in, in particular, right? Like we know that environmental justice, environmental impacts, significant health impacts. Uh, this is critical. Claire, your, your thoughts on the release of the plan. Uh, yeah, so building off of something um, Robert said and what you said um, that uh, marrying those two points, um, uh, Robert's right that this report does have a uh, an explicit connection or builds an explicit connection between climate justice and equity. And uh, in the report, there is um, a section that talks about this and in it it says that um, according to the EPA, there are many factors that affect a community's ability to prepare for, respond to, and cope with climate change's health impacts. And two of the things that it cites um, as factors there are um, living in low-income communities with limited access to healthcare services and having high rates of uninsured individuals who have difficulty accessing quality healthcare. And um, so I wanted to pull those out, those two things out specifically, because I think they speak to this point that you that you just said about um, that there is a very strong connection between um, climate justice um, and equity and um, healthcare, um, and a lot of that, like I said, has to do with the uh, vulnerability of frontline populations um, who are often the folks um, who are left out of. Um, being able to have high quality insurance and to be able to actually use their coverage um, and also the people who are going to feel the effects of climate change um, first because of um, you know where they live maybe they live in um, you know flood zones um, or in housing that isn't um, isn't taken care enough well enough to have you know um, great cooling in the summer when it gets hotter, great heating in the winter when it gets colder. Um, as we know, you know, climate change is not just about global warming, it's also about global um, patterns of climate uh, changing and having more severe, more extreme temperatures um, and bigger storms and things like that. Um, and also because of where, uh, you know, frontline communities often have to work and we're seeing that during the, during the pandemic right now, right? Um, so I, I am glad that that this um, report leaves open uh, the door that, so we can build connections between climate justice and equity and healthcare coverage. I also wanna point out, right, like Mandela Barnes' role in this I think is important um, as someone who, you know, is in a statewide uh, leadership position. I'm just gonna say, I'm, I'm assuming uh, this is a, Hell of a first step if he's looking uh, for higher office. Uh, I'll just say I hear there's a U.S. Senate seat open. Uh, this is uh, something that definitely stakes his progressive credentials and certainly shows that he's someone who's uh, supportive of big visionary things. And uh, uh, so just kudos to him and, and all the folks, Robert, you mentioned on the task force for the leadership and uh, starting and let's jumpstart the debate and discussion on this. Uh, Robert, you mentioned one important thing. You talked about the on-bill financing, and that's a wonderful transition to our next 
uh, topic is the state budget, right? And the idea that on-bill financing, should this that is something that ought to be in the governor's budget. It's a huge priority for us. And so we want to encourage folks, right, to reach out to the governor's office. We've been, and we'll talk more about this in the next segment. Um, this is an absolute issue to push on. The governor should have this on-bill financing in the budget. Robert, uh, you take us out, final 20 seconds. When Raphael Smith, our climate equity director, and I met with Lieutenant Governor Barnes a couple weeks ago, he had no idea how much of this report would be end up in governor's budget, if any, even though they have a close relationship. So if you like parts of this report, there are 42 top-tier proposals. Call the governor and ask him to put them in his budget. And with that, we got to take a break. When we get back, like I said, we're going we're gonna to talk more state budget. We're going to be joined by Sean Pettiplace, who is the Wisconsin State Manager of the Main Street Alliance. We're going to learn more about what the Main Street Alliance does and what they care about in the state budget. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're really fortunate to have a guest with us. We are joined by Sean Fettaplace. Sean, again, is the state manager of the Main Street Alliance. Sean, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. Glad to, glad to be here. Sean, tell our listeners who may have no idea, Main Street Alliance sounds great. What is the Main Street Alliance? Uh, so the Main Street Alliance, uh, we were founded about 10 years ago um, around the Affordable Care Act debate. Uh, there at the time, a group of small business owners who were talking about the need for quality, affordable health care for themselves and their employees. And so they got involved in that fight. And then the organization actually was founded as a result of that because there are a lot of other issues that small business owners did not feel their voices were being represented by the Chamber of Commerce, by the Tavern League, by other organizations like that, who um, in many cases were committing identity theft by claiming to support the voice of small business when in fact often uh, they supported more right-wing anti-tax, anti-regulation positions. And so, you know, we were founded to bring that voice, that progressive voice to the small business community and in state legislatures with uh, governor's offices, with the federal delegations across the country. So we uh, have done so in a lot of other states, uh, both on the West Coast, East Coast, down South, uh, really, you know, working for things like paid sick and family leave, um, getting Medicaid expansion done uh, in states where that was possible, um, you know, really uh, fighting for child care um, subsidy increases and um, investing in child care so that regular folks can, can work and, and um, you know, support their families and uh, help grow the economy. So those are issues we've worked on for a long time. Um, this last uh, election, we're very new. To Wisconsin. We've only been here since August. And so uh, we worked very hard to hold uh, President Trump accountable around the failure on the COVID federal response and in state legislative races across the state. So just excited though, um, now that the election is over, to work on state policy, federal policy, and to work uh, closely with the, the uh, uh, Wisconsin Citizen Action on that. Well, Sean, I'll just say uh, you couldn't get here at a better time. We have an extraordinarily powerful uh, business lobby here, the Chamber of Commerce, right? You mentioned it. Uh, it's a whole network. Um, and so your, your vision, your voice is critically needed and critically needed at this time, right? We're headed into a state budget uh, that 
is going to be very important. We've got lots of folks lobbying. I assume uh, the Main Street Alliance and your members have some uh, significant priorities in the upcoming state budget. Uh, could you tell us maybe a little bit more about what we could expect uh, folks at the Main Street Alliance to be fighting for in the next year? Yeah, so I've had the pleasure and a lot of our members are amazing people. They are chefs, they are guitar shop owners, they are um, you know, folks who really contribute a lot to their community. And the thing I kept hearing as I both had my initial conversations and follow up is healthcare is needed. Badger care expansion is a huge priority for us, getting that done. We know it's gonna be a challenging uh, fight, uh, especially with the new Senate leadership. Um, but it's a needed one. Um, you know, we're going to have a huge bu a budget deficit uh, to fill. And, you know, if you're a fiscal conservative, uh, you should, and you don't want to raise taxes or you don't want to cut programs in the state, you know, you should look at that as an opportunity to help uh, take those free federal dollars, essentially, um, or mostly free federal dollars, to help um, shore up that gap. And it's also the right thing to do. Um, my mother-in-law lived with me for three years because she was on Badger Care and she had to remain eligible. And so she was forced into poverty because of a failed ideological um, you know, position to not take those dollars. And so that, and a lot of the small business owners, um, we had a business owner who literally had an employee have three epileptic seizures because they couldn't afford health insurance, even though the employer was paying half of the premium and was providing healthcare, they still couldn't afford it. And um, they actually increased the person's salary specifically so they could afford the coverage and get covered, but they shouldn't have to do that. You know, badger care expansion should be done. Um, I would say number two, childcare affordability and accessibility. Uh, that's a major issue. We're working uh, with WICA on that issue. Um, I would say as well, um, COVID relief. Uh, we really appreciate uh, what the governor did the other day in terms of the third round of we're all in grants uh, for restaurants and for uh, those folks as well as uh, people who are in the entertainment industry and some of these venues that really needed help. We're only a few months away from the vaccine being widely distributed. There are folks in Madison who are literally getting the vaccine who are frontline workers within the next two weeks. We just need to get through the next few months. And so we're gonna work really hard to make sure there's additional support for the small businesses and for these communities because what we don't wanna see happen is to have empty main streets across our state because the state legislature didn't take action to address that. Yeah, Sean, it has been just such a pleasure to, um, to work with you and I think the value that your, uh, that your organization and your members bring to the fight for affordable, high-quality um, health coverage and healthcare reform is is immense. Um, it is uh, it is often a challenge in the healthcare advocacy space to counteract the voices of big businesses that um, we know are are only motivated by protecting. Their, their profits that go to um, executives and whatnot, um, but, they, but they make what seem like um, smart arguments about um, how much they care for their employees and they don't want to have to lay people off and all these things, right? Um, and that's why, and that's why they, they don't want to be taxed more and that's why they can't afford to pay higher wages or provide health coverage and all these things, right? So having, having a progressive 
uh, voice from business owners is is invaluable in these arguments. So I, I'm just so glad that you're here and functioning in Wisconsin and already hitting the ground running on two big issues that we care about, which is, um, you know, batch care expansion and batch care public option and child care. I mean, you know, caregiving and care needs um, are also in my, in my wheelhouse. Um, so that's really exciting. I know you, okay, so here's my question for you. I know we talked about Badger Care expansion as a way that could help some employees, but, but presumably that still only is going to help employees who are making um, not a ton of money, whereas something like Badger Care Public Option could actually help um, many, many more employees of your, of your members' businesses. So I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about um, if you think something like the Badger Care Public Option could benefit your members. Yes. Ultimately, I, you know, I actually worked on healthcare reform for a number of years myself, uh, both for Ask Me in Indiana, for example. And um, if you know anything about Indianapolis, you know that Eli Lilly's there, WellPoint's there, a lot of large industry groups are there. And there, you know, that um, real influence of money uh, in terms of, frankly, buying off politicians uh, to not support expanding coverage through these um, more equitable options is not okay. And, you know, having that option for folks, not having it be mandatory, although as an organization, we do hope that eventually we can get to a Medicare for all type situation at the federal level. But in the meantime, you know, enhancing coverage, um, increasing um, the quality of coverage, making sure that people don't have crazy out-of-pocket costs, that they don't have crazy premiums, where you don't have uh, folks having to spend $1,000 a month uh, to have insurance, um, you know, that's really uh, a goal of ours. So we definitely will do support that and will support that during the session, um, as well as supporting efforts to uh, get a public option uh, done at the federal level. Uh, we'll see what happens with the um, Georgia runoffs and what the possibilities of the, that are. But we just recently had an event with um, uh, President of uh, President-elect Biden uh, with one of our uh, business owners in Milwaukee, uh, Dan from Dan Dan uh, Restaurants and JVR Group, and we're working really hard to encourage the administration to push hard to get a public option done in the first 100 days of the administration. So, um, you know, we definitely support both those items and we'll be working hard to get them done uh, in this next year. Sean, thank you very much for joining us. And of course, I uh, know your national executive director, Amanda, because they were part of our national affiliate people's action before uh, uh, you now, but now we're independent. But so I want to compliment you on what you're doing and the strategy, but I just want to point out, put a really tight focus on what folks have been saying uh, and you said at the beginning, Sean, and that is we have a situation where the representatives of business don't represent the true opinion of small and medium sized business folks. And most of them are working hard just trying to make a living and uh, create jobs and create a service and not focused on what these right-wing federations that claim to represent them are doing. I mean, the NFIB and the other major, like the small alleged small business lobbies are actually siding with Wall Street over their own constituency because they're, 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 they're simply apparatus of the right-wing Republican party. They're not really representing businesses. Um, so, yeah, I mean, our members uh, don't feel represented right now by, uh, you know, 
the current uh, uh, environment of business organizations. We're seeking to fill that gap. We're seeking to work with them, fill that organization. We have members in Milwaukee, the Fox Valley, Bayfield, the Driftless region. We're gonna be focusing a lot, both in terms of the cities, but especially the more rural parts of the state uh, where it's important for folks to uh, be contacting and working with their lawmakers. We're really excited for the incoming freshman class at the state legislative level. There's a lot of new small business owners and folks who have that more progressive perspective. So, you know, really trying to build that organization so that, you know, when there is testimony, when there are events, when folks are hearing, uh, elected officials are hearing from folks in the business community, that they're not just hearing from those organizations that don't truly represent uh, the will of uh, small business owners in the state. Well, Sean, we appreciate that you took the time to represent those voices today with us, and we look forward to talking to you more uh, down the road as we go forward. Uh, but thanks so much, Sean, for joining us today and sharing uh, the views and interests of uh, the Main Street Alliance. Appreciate it. Yeah, and if you want to find out more about us, uh, go to MainStreetAlliance.org. We have a number of petitions right now calling for a COVID package to be passed with grants and with direct assistance instead of more loans. And I would just encourage people to check us out. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Sean. And with that, we have got to wrap up this podcast. We thank y'all so much for joining us. We thank our producer, Brian Wilder, who makes the show happen every week. And of course, thanks, Sean, so much for joining us. And we will see you next week at the Battleground, Wisconsin.